The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Davo. Well, the six-game winning streak is over, and the six-series winning streak is also very much in jeopardy as the Royals completely give one away tonight. And the most bothersome thing to me was that the white flag was almost waved before the first pitch tonight. We're going to talk all about that and so much more. It's Davo on a frustrating edition of your dish here on Clubhouse Conversation, where the Royals first punt away a game with the lineup tonight and then kick away the game, literally, on defense. Cleveland walks it off, 5-4, a night where the Royals commit three errors on defense. They don't turn a very key double play, obviously, in the eighth inning, and then make a completely awful defensive gamble in the ninth after a ball that probably should have been made, a play on it by Carlos Santana leading off, also wasn't made. So, what do you have, six defensive errors, realistically, tonight? Cleveland moves within a game of KC with their best two starting pitchers pending and looming in this series, which is what makes tonight's lineup even more infuriating to me when you know that you've got Santana and Kluber still coming up in this series. But let's name a quick player of the game here before we get to the blunt business here, and there's lots to go over. Chesler Cuthbert, your player of the game tonight for the Royals. A three-hit night, including a solo home run. In the sixth, his second of the year. Nice to see from Chesler, who continues to play a very good defensive third base as well. And big props to him for the work he's been in the last two years. Going from a guy who was considered by many minor league uh, aficionados, guys who write about stuff for a living, as almost a butcher on defense a couple of years ago. We keep talking about that. The transformation Chesler has made defensively is insane. And I can tell you from my own four eyes, since I wear glasses, that seeing Chesler year after year better than a guy like Jason Taylor, who played a different position. Taylor was more of a second baseman. If you remember him, I don't think he ever made it out of A-ball. I believe it was a second-round pick for the Royals several years back, but it was one of the worst defensive minor league infielders I've ever seen. The footwork was awful. There was no range. Cuthbert wasn't that bad, and he was playing a different position. But Cuthbert was bad a, a few years ago at third base. And I know the Royals played him a little bit at second base in Northwest Arkansas a couple years ago, so they've been ahead of the curve on that, as they normally are. But the point of me telling you this is that the work Chesler has put in has been nothing short of remarkable in his transformation. He's become a well-above-average defensive third baseman, no doubt about that. So one of the biggest turnarounds I've ever seen. That, that's just a, a huge tip of the cap to Chesler, and nice to see him have a good night with the bat. Drew Butera, two-run homer in the third inning off of Carlos Carrasco, who, by the way, was on a, a strict 80-pitch count limit tonight, and the Royals got him out. At 78 after five innings. So nice job overall, I, th- I thought, especially with the lineup that was put out there. A pretty nice job by the Royals lineup tonight. Three runs on nine hits. Struck out just twice against uh, Mr. Carrasco. Walked once against him. Nice job by KC getting three runs on nine hits against him in his five innings. Now Eric Hosmer on base three times with two hits and a walk. Ray Fuentes, welcome back. Your opening day right fielder. Three for four with a run. Gerard Dyson, two hits and four bats with a run. One name you'll notice I didn't mention, and and, and, I, and I don't want to make this all about piling it on Omar Infante, all right? Let, let, let's, let, let's get to that right up the bat here. Same with Paul Orlando. That's not what I'm trying to do here. We're, we're going to be fair, though. We're, I'm criticized often for being overly positive by people, but I, I consider myself fair, and I will call it how I see it. And Omar Infante 
nobody in their right mind would hit him in the fifth in the five hole, right? Tonight, you would think coming in. When I saw that, I'm like, no, there's no way that's the real lineup. That has to be a mistake. The five hole for Omar Infante, the one guy I didn't mention. And to be fair, you know, Escobar and Morales didn't get on base either tonight. But we're not talking about them. We're talking because those guys are are fine for what they are. I mean, Escobar obviously playing Gold Glove at shortstop again, doing just enough offensively where you can not be upset about him leading off. And obviously, the wins and losses count for the you know show themselves with him in the leadoff spot. And Kendrys has had bad luck all year. He really has. He smokes the ball consistently. I'm not worried about Kendrys. I still think he'll put up numbers. Now, he's not going to be anywhere close to last year. So, season's a third over now, obviously. But I'm not worried about Kendrys either. But so, but Omar Infante in the five hole, and it's not even so much. I'm not even that upset that he was in the lineup. You know, that's fine. But, well, is it fine, though? Well, hang on. We'll get to that in a minute. But the five hole, if you're going to play him, you certainly cannot put him in the five hole. That's waving the white flag if I've ever heard it. And why did both Whit Merrifield and Paulo Orlando need nights off? We know Whit wasn't injured. We know Paulo wasn't either because he came in the game as a defensive replacement in the ninth. Did we really need to give both guys with a lineup that already doesn't have Mike Moustakis, a lineup that already doesn't have Alex Gordon, and a lineup that already doesn't have Salvador Perez against a team two back from you who before the season I've been saying is your biggest competitor in the AL Central and you've got their two best pitchers looming, do you really, with those three bats out, need to rest two of your hottest hitters? Your hottest, really, at least your Kickstarter, and that's Whit Merrifield. Obviously, Hosmer is probably the hottest if you go back and look at the last seven or ten or fifteen, however you want to break it down. But Whit Merrifield right up there. I mean, Paul Orlando, does he need a night off? If he's coming in for defense, he's fine physically. We know that. The guy's hardly played until the last few weeks. A strict platoon, if that, for a good portion of April. When you had, Especially when you had Fuentes up here for a while, and then Dyson's been playing a lot. I know Dyson got hurt at the beginning of the year, so Orlando got a few bats then, but then Dyson came back shortly after. You know, you've had Eibner up and Merrifield and Gordon and Kane. I mean, all these guys, Dyson, there hasn't been a, a lot of consistent playing time for Orlando until the last couple of weeks. So uh, we don't really feel like he needs a day off, do we? And with Merrifield, when you're on a six-game winning streak and swinging the kind of wand he is, I mean, how can you tell me those two need a day off when Alcides Escobar hasn't had one all year? Escobar, 527 OPS his last seven games. And again, we're not burying anybody here. We're not piling it on your first place Royals. We're, we're discussing why, in my opinion, this was a punt and an extremely mismanaged game. Escobar, 527 OPS his last seven games. Hasn't had a day off all year, but Whit Merrifield and Paul Orlando needed one. Omar Infante, the guy in the five spot on the year, a 617 OPS to his... But to his credit, does have a 650 his last seven, so has been swinging the bat better by his standards. But even 650, I mean, if you're going to have a guy out there who has no range anymore and can't throw the ball and is below average on defense, not making plays, he's got to be OPSing about 850, right? I mean, you can't have a guy out there like that. So if you're going to play him, it's questionable at this point. He has to be in the 8 or 9 spot. You cannot be guaranteeing him the fifth most at bats on this roster. And yes, I'm aware guys below him, several are not great options either. But again, you had two better options sitting on the bench that you could have played, so that's your own fault. And some of the guys below him, yes, I'd rather have Chesler Cuthbert in that spot. Yes, I'd rather have Ray Fuentes in that spot. 
You know, Gerard Dyson looks weird in the five hole, but so does Omar Infante. You know, it's not like, you know what I'm saying? Neither of them are, neither of them are going to be gap hitters, really, or guys that are going to drive the ball to the ballpark, which is more of a, a prototypical number five hitter, obviously, in an American League lineup. Whit Merrifield, his last seven games, if you're wondering, 844 OPS with two stolen bases, a 469 slug, above average defense at second base. Royals, most importantly, have won six games in a row. With him in the two spot. Paula Orlando, just a 586 OPS the last sevens. That would surprise me. I thought it'd be better than that. So not, not as good as you'd expect out of him, but over the last 15, he's still OPSing 921. And again, six wins in a row. Orlando's had plenty of off days throughout the year. Merrifield, a guy who I guarantee you would play every day between now and March if the Royals played in the winter. And, and a guy that's swinging an extremely hot bat when you've got these guys looming and you're, I, I don't understand it. I just don't understand. To me, this was a punt game from the start. And, and let's let's also state this while, while we're being fair here. Ned Yost has been a tremendous manager the last couple of years. The last time I was legitimately mad at him was the wild card game, the whole bullpen fiasco against Oakland. And now I was pretty fired, well, not pretty, borderline fired up the Friday night game last week. The Duffy game when he had the perfect game through five against the White Sox. When Duffy allowed the bases loaded, I was like, okay, Milky's coming up. Get him out, Ned. Royal still had the lead. He left him in. Okay, that's justifiable. It is. Gives up the grand slam. Okay, he's got to be out now. You're down four to two. Duffy's past his pitch limit. You've got a guy who mashes lefties, who's the leading home run hitter in the American League. You leave Duffy in to face Todd Frazier, which was, which was borderline criminal. And, of course, Frazier takes him yard. Then Ned gets him out. Like, that was the first fr- – honestly, I'm being serious. I really honest to God think – you could go back and listen to every single one of these, and I don't think I've ever criticized Ned to any sort of extent. I may have said something's questionable, or maybe he was wrong in retrospect. Since the wild card game. That was the game on Friday night. That was the last time. And then, But tonight was just like – I don't get it. I mean, the guy is – a genius motivator, a guy who believes in his players to the end all, which is obviously a big reason why the Royals are where they're at. He stayed with Escobar, didn't pinch hit for him a couple of years ago when many wanted him to. He stayed with Moustakis when nobody wanted him to. I mean, you can go on and on. Ned Yost has believed in these players, and it's paid off. And, and that's probably you know, a, a big reason the Royals have the continuity they do in the clubhouse, and they play for each other so well, and they love Ned. I mean, I get that. So I'm, I'm not sitting here trying to bash Ned Yost, but what I'm saying is it's very curious. Like, it was just like they were punting this game away. I mean, you're facing a team, you've won six in a row. You can't get complacent. If you're going to give those guys the day off, do it last night against Chris Archer. You've won two out of three. Or you've already guaranteed the series win at home. You don't do it when you go face a team in your division who's probably your biggest foe. When you've got their two best pitchers looming after that. you got to get that game tonight. Especially with Chris Young against Corey Kluber. Do you trust that matchup on Sunday? Kluber got lit up his last start. We'll talk about that in a bit. But do you trust that game? you got to get two of these four. You punt away game one, you got to win two out of three with Kluber and Santana on the mound. I, I don't get it. And even a guy who's 7-1 and one, Tomlin on Saturday, who wins and losses mean nothing, and Tomlin's getting extremely lucky. We'll talk about that too, but... And then the one other thing tonight, I mean, the Royals play an absolutely awful game on defense from two guys that Ned put in there for defense. That's the only realistic explanation why Omar Infante is even on the team at this point or in the lineup is for his defense. And his defense has been awful, awful the last month, completely awful. Paulo Orlando has been bad this year on defense. I'm aware there's been some nice plays. I'm fully aware of the Kirk Caselli fly ball on Monday night that Orlando jumped forward the fence and made a catch on. He does make some nice plays. 
I'm not saying Orlando's an awful defender, but he is a below-average Major League right fielder. And if you think I'm wrong, you don't watch the Royals every day. Banana routes all over the place. Takes bad routes to balls. We've seen him cost the Royals several runs on defense. Think back to the Washington game, the bobble. Think back to some of these banana routes. Think back to missing a cutoff man in a key situation. Tonight in the ninth inning, two errors. I mean, one literal error and one that should have been an error. I mean, you put him in as a defensive replacement. And I don't have enough data to tell you that Ray Fuentes, what he is on defense. I'm not going to sit here and act like that. I've seen Ray Fuentes play about 20 games in person. A couple times in spring training, once in Omaha, and then the game's up here. So I, I have not seen enough of Ray Fuentes to judge. Ned may be right. I mean, Ned honestly might be right on that. Maybe Orlando is a better defender. But he, but he is not. He's not even an average defensive outfielder. And that's not to say Omar or that Orlando doesn't have value, because he does. And Orlando deserves to be out there every day. I was clamoring for him to be in the lineup tonight. He needs to be out there every day right now. There's no reason to change that right now. Let the kid play every day. With that said, though, it just looks really bad. It wasn't a good night for Ned. When you put Infante out there for his defense, and you put Orlando out there specifically for his defense after taking him out when he's that hot. So Omar can't turn the double play in the eighth. The ball hit by Jan Gomes, the catcher, that literally any college player at any level, NAIA up, could have made the throw on. Literally. No slide coming into him. Could have, I mean, literally caught the ball from Escobar. Nice, easy flip. Turned around. Jan Gomes was a good 15, 20 feet from the base when he let that ball go. He gets him by two and a half to three steps just by making an average throw to first base there. It's as easy of a play as you can make. Omar whiffs it. Cost the Royals a run there in that eighth inning. You can't charge an error in a double play ball because you can't assume it. That's another error right there. Earlier in the game today, a looping liner that Omar just didn't see and missed it. After not seeing a pop-up last night in Kansas City by Omar in the sixth that turned into a hit. After not seeing a pop-up the other day when he had his sunglasses on behind his hat on a day game. Missed it in the sun and had sunglasses on his hat but not on his eyes. Continually not making the throws. The range isn't there. In the ninth inning, you see the the ball at the bat of Carlos Santana. I mean, you're 20 feet in the outfield and you can't go eight steps to your right and, and field that. You got plenty of time to throw him out at Santana. I haven't seen Omar dive for a ball since the first Obama administration. And then Paulo Orlando on that same play bobbles the ball at Santana, go to second, butchers that one. And for some godforsaken reason, on a player that he really wasn't that close to. And I'm not sure why Orlando went do or die on the ball that turned into a triple. You know, the, the Kipnis sack bunt moves the runner to second. On a play that, I don't want to pile it on here, but Omar Infante almost dropped that ball and came off the base on the bunt play. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm not trying to be a dick here. I'm just throwing that out there. But Francisco Lindor triples. I, I I didn't understand the do or die there. It was like he thought that was the winning run at second base. He came in diving for a ball that he wasn't particularly close to, that he didn't get a great read on, and it rolls to the wall for a triple. Mike Napoli hits a sack fly. Cleveland walks it off because of the Royals' defense tonight and for punting the game. I mean, who knows how many runs the Royals score if they've got Merrifield in there? Or Orlando. Now, they all three hit nine for Fuentes. So it was tough to say that the Royals shouldn't have played Fuentes in retrospect. But, I mean, Infante didn't do anything. I mean, who knows how about it? Who knows what the Royals lineup does with Merrifield in there? We know it's better on defense. The Royals win this game if Merrifield's in there. I don't think anybody listening, even, even Ned, would debate that. Merrifield makes the plays on defense. No doubt. I can, I can safely say that. I mean, you really can safely say that. And a good chance Merrifield doesn't go 0 for 5 either. All right? I think we can agree on that. 
Now, Soria, some people are trying to put blame on him. I give 0% blame to Soria tonight. I mean, let's look at the ninth. He, he induces a ground ball from Carlos Santana, medium speed hit. It was not smoked. It was a, a you know, it was, yes, up the, towards the up the middle slot, but the Royals had him kind of shaded that way. Omar was so deep that that play should have been made. So I'm not going to get on Soria for a seeing eye single that your second baseman didn't make a diving attempt on with Carlos Santana running and couldn't get to. All right. So that, to me, that's an out. He gets an out on a bunt from Kipnis, so he got the out there. Did he give up a single to Lindor? Yes, so he did give up a hit there. But then he gets Napoli to pop out. So really, Soria got three of the four hitters he faced. You know, it was it would it have been a perfect one, two, three inning? Probably not. But good chance he gets out of that with defensive plays made behind him. So, I mean, if you if you want to if you want to pile it on, maybe a little bit questionable bringing back Ventura. At 98 pitches for the seventh inning, I'm, I'm aware Wade Davis wasn't you know available and they wanted to steal some outs. But if you did have Hoach, Herrera, and Soria all available for seven, eight, nine, you know I, I don't see why they really brought back Ventura there at 98 pitches going into the seventh inning. He'd been kind of wobbling tonight. He, the, the thing that concerns me about Ventura is he's just not missing bats anymore. Six innings tonight, one earned run on seven hits, struck out three. But I mean, if, 67 and two thirds, he's only struck out 44 this year. That's not good. What is that? About six point. I have to do the math here. Here, let's bring out the trusty calculator here. Forty-four divided by sixty-seven point two. The K rate is six and a half per nine. It's not going to do it for a guy that struggles with command a lot of times. He's going to have to miss bats. So, a frustrating night for the Royals. Now, is this the end of the world? No. You know, the Royals have had a couple games that they stole similar style where teams melted down on defense. So. But at the same time, again, the Royals did have a stretch where they were so bad that they had to rattle off, you know, the streak that they have. They had to to get to get back where they need to be. And right now, right now they're right back where they need to be. Today, literally, they're probably about exactly where they need to be. Pretty much, the, I mean, they were the exact same record coming into today, I believe, as they were last year when they won the series. I'm assuming they're probably about the same as last year. So they're fine. But it's just like you play your your a lineup tonight and or you know or even if you play your b lineup like give one of the two guys a night off why do they both need the night off when you're already light on your offense <sighs> now the last question before we get to the preview the next three omar infante had several tweets is it time to dfam <sighs> probably it probably is which I don't like because if you listen, you know, I, I know this doesn't sound like it tonight, but Omar Infante has been a guy I've been going to bat for until the last few weeks. And a guy who coming into this year I thought would have a nice year. I predicted 675, 680 OPS. I thought he looked better defensively early on this year. I really did. I thought the arm strength looked better. He finally had the surgery. I know he got criticized a lot about that for not having the surgery for the bone chips and all the stuff in the elbow. You know, The arm was barking last year and the year before. And I thought the Royals, I've been saying on record the last several weeks, that you get through this year, because Infante is a guy who deserves a lot of credit for the maturity of Alcides Escobar. You hear all the time James Shields gets the credit for the pitchers and guys like Duffy and Davis and even Ventura for kind of setting the winning atmosphere at the starting pitchers and challenging them to be Bulldogs. And and, and that's fair. But Omar Infante deserves a ton of credit for Alcides Escobar and helping him develop not only as a player, but a man. So... I think Omar does more than we think he does as far as what he brings to the table, intangible-wise. And I know a lot of people listening are cringing when I say something old-school and scoutish and 
you know, non-2016 like intangibles. But I think we can all agree if you watch this team every day that they're, they win off of intangibles and stuff that stats and numbers and even common sense sometimes can't quantify, right? But, I mean, at this point, Omar Infante, I mean, I thought a few weeks ago, I thought, you know, he's, he's a fine utility man the rest of this year and you cut ties after the year, eat the fourth year, you know, because I said that thinking, you know, he could probably play shortstop in a pinch, you know, a few times, you know, play some second. You know, I, so I thought if he could play, you know, a, I, I just thought if he could give you more than second base, he would be a semi-decent you know, veteran to have on the bench playing once a week. I'm even now. I'm still fine with Omar Infante playing once a week. I am not fine with Omar Infante playing more than once a week. And the other problem is he just doesn't offer utility play at this point. It's the same thing as Christian Colon, except Christian Colon has more upside now because he's got a better bat, a better stick, and he's got more range on defense. And Christian Colon's not a good major league second baseman. He might be average defensively, below average everywhere else. But the sad thing is Christian Colon at this point is an upgrade over Omar Infante. So while neither of them are utility guys, I mean, Cologne's not. He can only play second base. Infante can't even play second base, I mean, at this point. You can't trust him out there. He doesn't seem to be seeing the ball. It's like he can't see. His eyes aren't good. I, I'm being serious. I mean, time after time, I just mentioned three times in the last four days where he's not seeing the ball. It, it, it doesn't look like he sees the ball off the bat. He doesn't have the range. The arm's not there. He's not hitting. I just don't see, you know, you, you can't justify. You're to the point with Infante where you can't play him. More than like once a week, and even that's questionable. So if you can't do that, and he's not a utility guy, it's like what purpose does he serve outside of being the steady veteran? And you could try to put him on the DL. That, that's a possibility. You know, put him on the DL. His arm, obviously, something with him is not right defensively, or I mean, uh, physically. I mean, right? I mean, uh, surely he hasn't lost it that quick. I mean, so I mean, you could almost DLM for a month. You know, bring up Cologne or whatever, then bring back Infante for July and August, and then September, bring back Cologne. And it's like, you, you could almost hide him if you're intent on keeping him with Escobar and keeping him with a number of the players and giving him a chance to play out this year and not throw away a full year and a half of the contract. So I feel like there's a way to massage it with an injury where you only have to steal a month or two with him on the active roster until September when you can expand the rosters and then just bury him at that point. But I don't know. At the same time, is it really worth it? I mean, isn't it almost to the point where if you're a championship team, you just make this move? I don't know. I don't think the Royals are going to DFA him right now. I, I don't. I think Mike Moustakis being injured probably saved him, although maybe not because we probably wouldn't see Whit Merrifield right now without that. So who knows? What I do know is that I, I don't want to see Omar Infante out there more than once a week. So do I think the Royals will DFA him? I don't right now. Do I think they should? Probably, as much as it pains me. Or he goes in the DL, one or the other. Next three, let's get to this. This is getting kind of lengthy here. Edson Volquez, Danny Salazar tomorrow. Volquez 5-4, and four, a 3-7-4. Salazar 5-3, and three, a 2-3-9. Salazar, to me, is the ace of the Cleveland staff. Faced KC back on May 6th. And 7-2 and thirds shutout innings got the win. Nine Ks against the Royals. One of the premier pitchers in the American League is Salazar, the ace of Cleveland. And the Royals now come into seeing him 0-1 in the series. Volquez has been struggling off and on the last handful of starts. Did see Cleveland back on May 8th and was not good. Five runs in four and a third on seven hits. Advantage Cleveland tomorrow night. I like the Royals a lot on Saturday. Ian Kennedy, 4-3 and three with a 3-0-3 for the evening game against Josh Tomlin, 7-1, a 3-7-9. You go to XFIP and look at some of the advanced numbers. Tomlin should not be doing what he's doing. Ignore the win-loss unless you want to be stuck in 1943. Royals should win this game and hit him hard on Saturday. Kennedy faced Cleveland back on May 7th. Through seven shutout innings with six Ks. Tomlin, I don't really remember the start. I need to go back and look at this one because I don't remember him seeing KC this year, but he did back on May 8th. Six innings, four runs on seven hits. Finally, on Sunday, you got to like Cleveland, Chris Young, and Corey Kluber. 
Young two and five with the five nine four probably going to be you know maxed out about 75, 70, I would think pitches. I mean even when he was healthy and in the rotation didn't eclipse that mark that many times because he struggled. So you're hoping for four, four plus, maybe five innings out of Chris Young of two run ball, hopefully. But Kluber's good. I mean, four one five is not great, but it's inflated from his last start, man. I mean, last time out for Kluber, seven innings, six runs against Texas, six Ks, no walks. Has not seen the Royals this year, and neither has Young with the Indians. Young comes off of four innings, no runs, and two hits since returning. From the DL. So honestly, I see the Royals probably dropping two of the next three, probably getting out of town, losing three out of four. You know, it's nothing it's something to the world. The Royals are a game out of first because who cares? But I don't really care about games out of first on June, whatever we are, second, third, what are we today? June 2nd. There we go. But what I do care about is putting your best team on the field and giving yourself a chance to win and, and using some common sense. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. And I, I, you know what? I feel bad about having to be ne- – I hate being negative. I don't think I've been negative, man, for like two years. I hate it. But it's just, to me, it's just inexcusable. You can't throw this team out there tonight. You can't do it. <sighs> you know, and you just don't, you just, especially with all these injuries, you still don't have a whole bunch of margin for error. I don't think the Royals should be, or their fan base should be tricked into complacency again, because it was almost like the Royals got complacent after they started off hot this year, and that led to, the losing streak and all the negativity. Yeah, the Royals have been playing out of their minds and have gotten that all back, but you don't want to get back to the point where you're punting games or saying we're good enough to get a split or you know, I'm not going to worry about this one tonight. There's six months, blah, blah, blah. This division is coming down to a couple games, guys. So the division was not won or lost tonight at all. But the point being, you have to put yourself in position to win games for the most part as best you can. It's a marathon, so there's times where key guys need days off. There's times where Salvador Perez should have a day off after a night game, or he hasn't. Where I do know for that day, it gives the Royals a better chance. But for the long term, I agree with taking him out of the lineup. There's nothing wrong with days off. But you can't be giving two guys days off on the same day against Cleveland with the two aces looming. And that's my final take from tonight. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Go Royals.